So maybe just a word before I read uh, the first chapter of Jonah. I've uh, been coming to the church here for uh, probably about two years, and um, I found it to be um, uh, just the kind of community of believers that, that I needed in my own life. And um, uh, I remember a, a line that uh, Pastor uh, Brad mentioned. Uh, he talked about leaning into community, and uh, that's a good thing that uh, we all can do. Lean into community, lean into one another. Um, it's been about, what, 15 years before I've, I've done anything kind of like this uh, in a service. So, um, and I got short notice. That's for my, my kids there. So Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so, we, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's... Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea got rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Larry. Well, before I begin today's message, I want to extend my thanks in the theme of community, which we've been speaking about just a little bit the last couple of minutes. I want to extend thanks to Jericho Ridge the church community, the church community that my family is a part of as well. Uh, Many of you know that my wife Melissa and I had a baby girl on October 12th 
Uh, we learned two weeks prior to her due date that our little girl had a flip and was breech and that a C-section was going to be required, which was surprising news for us. It wasn't really in our, in our plan for all of this to happen. And since she was born and since uh, surgery happened, we've been overwhelmed by the generosity and the kindness of the people here at our church. We've had people visit, provide meals, provide babysitting, a uh, number of prayers, and um, I just want to say thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, one thing that I did not remember about being a parent, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old boy as well, is that your 24-hour clock changes. It shrinks down to about a four-hour clock and different windows of time. And um, last night, you know, this so-called extra hour of sleep is a, is a complete aberration. That, that does not happen at all. And, uh, and so with this in mind, I want to thank you in advance, church, for the grace you will extend to me as I preach for the first time after becoming a father once again. I would like to think that my messages are coherent, and perhaps my past ones were. This one may not be as coherent. We will, we will find out, uh, but we will do this together. Our teaching is from the book of Jonah, and our series is called Nudge. And the word nudge is sort of a, a softer action or a softer word than the word push. Now, when you think about someone being pushed, uh, you think about this premeditated action. It's forceful. It's intentional. It can cause a lot of harm when one person pushes another person. But nudging someone is far less severe. Nudging someone is still noticed. It's still purposeful, generally, but it's much more gentle. The purpose is not to harm someone. It's to gain their attention. Most kids understand the difference between a push and a nudge. You get in trouble for pushing someone. Nudging seems a little bit less consequential. And that the word used here for nudge is this idea of God interacting with people. He's not a pushing them forcefully. It's just this, this act of gaining their attention. It's a gentle push, a slight nudge. Getting their attention and saying, hey, listen to what I have to say. Our series is based on a book called Nudge uh, by an author um, by the name of, and I'm going to lose his name here now, been looking at his book all week long. Look at that, my, my provision of, of being scattered has already uh, come to fruition. Um, thank you, Leonard Sweet, Jared. So this is his concept, is, is that God nudges people, and then they in turn, as they respond to God's nudge, they nudge others. And this is what evangelism or sharing God's love should look like. Now, for some people, this concept may make a ton of sense. Oh, yeah, it's about nudging. Light bulb went on and we're good to go. For others, like me, this is a little bit more out there. And that's why we're going to look at the story of Jonah. Because Jonah is a, is a narrative. We, we get a sense of who this man is, and he receives countless nudges, sometimes a little bit more forceful than a nudge, from God to do something. And his, his life is greatly impacted by how he chooses to respond to God's promptings. Now, Jonah's best known, far and away, for being the character that was swallowed by a great fish and survived to tell the tale. His story is usually a staple in pretty much any children's storybook Bible. And even though the point of Jonah's story is so big and so personal that most mature adults have trouble grasping its full nature, its stories usually minimize to this fish 
what many people have now come to understand as perhaps a whale who swallowed Jonah. But at the heart of this story is about a man who runs away. It's a story of a man who receives a command from God and then turns his back and flees. It's a story of a man who has no love for the city that God wants to communicate his love to. It's a story of a prophet who misses most of the opportunities to live up to his job title. But before we tag Jonah as this simplistic man who who is buckling under the pressure and disobedient to God's call, we must remember that turning away from God's call is a common theme in the Bible. Moses and Gideon asked God several times for confirmation signs before they're willing to go. And there's many other leaders who do not receive God's call with instant enthusiasm. But Jonah's story is unique because his decision to disobey God is is so obvious. And it's shared with such detail in this book. Plus, his book is classified as a prophetic book. It's sandwiched in between these, these great prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And then it's in between the minor prophets. We read stories from Amos and, and Obadiah and Micah. These, these people that they hear a word from God and then they turn around and they deliver this word of God, whether it's to the Israelites or to the surrounding nations. There's kind of this standard pattern. The word of the Lord came to this person and then he went to this place and he delivered the word of the Lord. But Jonah's story has a much different beginning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But then this prophetic pattern is broken right away in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The question that I want us to consider this morning is why Jonah runs. Why does Jonah run? The third verse here in this chapter tells us that he runs in order to flee from God, but we aren't told why he chooses to run. And there's always a reason for running. I'm guessing I was probably about seven years old the first time I decided to run away from home. I ran a great, great distance and I made it to the far reaches of the bushes in our front yard. I remember I could see my window from where I was hiding. And while I was there, it seemed like hours had passed, maybe even days. I was probably gone for about 40 minutes. And I was a terrible runaway because I had no supplies and I had no plan. And if I remember the story right, I think after a while I, I recognized that my favorite TV show was about to come on. So I just went back in the house and you know, life continued on as it was. But even though I didn't have supplies and I didn't have a plan, I had the one thing that every runaway needs to have. I had a reason. There was a reason that I ran away. And I think it's foolish to think that running away is just something that young people do. Because all of us run away for some reason. All of us run away at some point in our life. Many of us continue to run away. Some of us run away to the workplace to rid ourselves of our home life. Some of us run to alcohol to rid ourselves of reality. Some of us run to our past to rid ourselves of the present. Some of us run to busyness and to noise to avoid the voice of God. There are lots of reasons for running, and most of us are very accomplished runners. 
When we look at the themes of the Bible, I think running is probably one of the, the major themes of the Bible. Story after story, characters run away from each other, run away from people groups, run away from God. Adam and Eve, they run from God and they hide in the bushes. Jacob runs from both his brother and his father-in-law. Moses runs from Egypt. David runs from Saul. The prodigal son runs away from his father. The disciples run from Gethsemane. Fear is usually the emotion that tells us to run. And I'm sure that Jonah had a good sense of fear during his story. But as we're about to see, his story is about much more than just being afraid. The first time that Jonah is mentioned in the Bible is uh, earlier in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, he is mentioned. And he's mentioned as a prophet. Nowhere in his book is he called a prophet, but he's called a prophet back then. And his hometown lines up, and so the best guess that we have is that this prophet in the Old Testament who's mentioned in the same time period in the same city is the same Jonah who runs away from God. We learn that he's from a place called Gath-Hefer, a town that's just west of the Sea of Galilee. And his whereabouts are important to note because of where he chooses to run away to. He travels to Joppa so that he can board a ship that will take him to Tarshish. Now we're going to see a map come up on the screen here. You can see this yellow star to the right of Joppa. That's his hometown of Gath-Hefer. And you see Nineveh up to the northeast. So Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, which is actually a, a fairly long distance, a couple hundred miles away. But instead he goes southwest, the exact opposite. He goes down to Joppa and he gets onto a ship. And if you look to the far west side of that map, you see Tarshish. Tarshish was known to be the westernmost part of the Mediterranean world. This was kind of like the ends of the earth for people back in antiquity. And this is where he chooses to go. And I think the narrator is very specific in telling us not only where he goes, but the consequences he has to endure to get there. It says he paid the fare. This wouldn't have been a cheap boat ride. This isn't something that you and I'd say, hey, let's go to Calgary for the weekend. So let's check a seat sail on WestJet, jump on a plate, go to Calgary, there and back, no big deal. This is like saying, let's go to Nova Scotia and let's take a Greyhound bus. This is a big, big decision he makes. His trip is costly, it's lengthy, and it's in the opposite direction from where God tells Jonah to go. And so God sends him a great wind. He puts a huge wind, which creates a storm so violent that the sailors on the boat with him become desperate. Verse 5 tells us that each of them cry out to their God and they begin to throw cargo overboard. Something that sailors usually aren't all that excited about to throw their prophets out into the water. And we get a sense of their desperation. But despite the weather, despite the fear, despite the prayers and despite the chaos, Jonah is enjoying a nice deep sleep in the lower parts of the ship. My guess is that he also has a newborn at home and finally he's found a place where despite the chaos and the raging storm, it's quiet and he can sleep. And so the sailors are throwing their profitable cargo off the ship. They're praying to any living thing they can think of and probably any sort of idol they can think of. This is not a time for theological debates about which gods exist and which gods answers prayer. They're doing anything they can do. We'll pray to anything, anyone, anyhow, just so we can have some safety here. And yet Jonah is seemingly oblivious to everything that's going on. And so in an act of desperation, the ship's captain finds Jonah. 
huddled up in the lower deck and sleeping. And he asked Jonah how he can be sleeping at such a time at this. Now you would think, you would think that in a time of desperation with a storm, the captain would find someone on the ship and say, what, what are you doing? Secure a sail, bail water, grab a paddle. But instead, he says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Jonah isn't asked to help, he's asked to pray. I wonder how the prophet felt to have the captain, the man he had employed so that he could run further away from God, tell him, hey, can you do some praying to whatever God you serve so that we can get out of this terrible mess? Now, we aren't told if Jonah prays at that moment, only that the sailors decide to cast lots to determine who's responsible for this cause of trouble. And of course, the lot falls to Jonah. He's immediately interrogated by the sailors. Every emergency demands quick answers and a quick response. And these sailors are all over Jonah. I don't know how long it took them to ask these five questions, but my guess is it probably took them less than a minute. They nail him with five successive questions. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Nudges come in many different ways and from many different directions. But for Jonah, it takes a number of nudges from a number of different sources before he's finally ready to respond. His reluctance is finally challenged by the combination of a violent storm, a praying captain, and a group of persistent sailors. And so he speaks. And according to the story that we have, this is the very first time that he speaks in his story. And he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And with this statement, Jonah actually sounds like a prophet, doesn't he? He opens his mouth and That sounds pretty bang on. James Bruckner says in his commentary on the book of Jonah, who runs away from the God of the sea on a ship? Jonah seems to have good head knowledge, good theology, good prophetic gifts, but yet the words that he says, he kind of sounds like an idiot at the same time. And the sailors respond to it. After they they hear what Jonah has to say, they ask him, what have you done? Which maybe is the polite sailor way of saying, what's wrong with you? What in the world are you doing? It takes a bit more prodding by the sailors, but Jonah finally tells them that the sea will calm down if they throw him overboard. And not wanting to anchor Jonah's God any further, the sailors try to row the ship back to shore themselves. These were honorable sailors from everything we can tell in this story. But they find that it's no use. The storm actually gets even worse. Throwing Jonah overboard is their only option. And then in verse 14, the sailors ask God not to hold them responsible for Jonah's life. So they take the prophet and they throw him into the water and the raging sea becomes calm. Jonah in the sea may have been a greater testimony than Jonah in the boat. Because when the sailors look at the calm sea, they offer a sacrifice to Jonah's God, and they begin to worship him. Jonah's story, if we were to summarize it, is a story of descent. It's a story of going down. Jonah's told to go. Another way of of understanding that opening verse from the Lord to Jonah is up. Go up. You're called up to go to 
Nineveh. And instead, everything that Jonah does is a downward spiral. He goes down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the lower deck to sleep. Goes down into this deep sleep, and then he's eventually tossed down into the sea. And he never reaches Tarshish. And he's never unable to outrun God. So why does he do it? If Jonah knows that he serves the God of both the sea and the dry land, why does he even try to head west? Why does he try to run? Well, his trip to Tarshish begins after he's told to go to Nineveh and preach against it. So the key to understanding why Jonah runs is to figure out how he feels about Nineveh. What is it about this task or what is it about this place that makes him want to go run and hide? The idea of going to Nineveh, the idea of preaching against his wickedness, is what prompts Jonah to find a boat. Well, Nineveh is the capital, or it was, the capital city of Assyria. And even though it was located a fair distance away from where Jonah lived, he and his family and and the rest of, of God's people at that time, they pretty much knew that it was wise for them to stay away from the Assyrians. These were ruthless people. They were the people responsible for capturing and enslaving the northern kingdom. And their arrogance, their pride, their smugness was rooted in the fact that they were incredibly hostile and incredibly violent. In Nahum's book, another prophet listed in the Minor Prophets in our Old Testament scriptures, he describes Nineveh as a city of blood. And the area became a symbol for everything that was opposed to the Lord and his people. Nineveh was the enemy. These were the bad guys. Being asked to preach in Nineveh with the very real possibility that God would in fact be gracious to them, would have been a very, very intimidating order for Jonah. An author by the name of James Lindbergh describes going to Nineveh in this way. He says, It would be as if a Jew who had lost family in the Holocaust were asked to undertake a mission to Germany just after the Nazi period. Here it described this way, a trip to Tarshish doesn't make Jonah out to be such a coward as many of us probably think that he is. And Jonah very well may have been scared, may have been scared about his own life, but the reason Jonah ran has more to do with what might happen to Nineveh than what might happen to Jonah. If we skip ahead to the end of the story, which I know is cheating a little bit in our series, but if we look ahead to chapter 4, we find that Jonah, eventually in chapter 3, he does go to Nineveh. He does respond in obedience to God's call. He does warn them about God judging them. And amazingly, the people repent and they turn to God. But in chapter 4, we learn that this response, this, this confession, this change of heart and transformation by the Ninevites actually makes Jonah even more angry. His, his prayer to God reveals his heart. This is in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, O God... Is this not what I had said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah ran. Jonah ran because God's nudge struck a nerve. He did not want the Ninevites to receive God's mercy. He did not feel that the Ninevites deserved God's mercy. He wanted to see the Ninevites punished for their wickedness. Jonah ran because there was a chance Nineveh would repent. 
Jonah ran because he knew God is gracious and compassionate. Jonah ran because he didn't want to participate in the possible redemption story of Israel's greatest enemy. Jonah ran because God's nerve, or God's nudge, struck a nerve deep down inside of his heart. His decision to run is based on a theological disagreement that he has with God. So by running, he's actually vocalizing protest. It's as if he's protesting God's move to reach the violently wicked. And so instead of staying at home and just saying no or trying to ignore it, he actually removes himself from his hometown, goes in the opposite direction because he wants nothing to do with wicked people somehow being recipients of God's mercy and grace. He's protesting God's move to extend grace to a people that have harmed Jonah's people. He disagreed with God's plan, and he wasn't fond of being God's messenger either because God's nudge struck a nerve. Now, this message would be a lot easier if we simply ignored some of these details in the story and we went back to this great fish story and we thought about how all of this happened and how the fish swallowed Jonah up in the sea and what happened when he was inside the belly of that fish. But Jonah's reason for running is a crucial part of this story. There's no fish story without this running story. And if, as a community, we really want to be people who respond in obedience to God's nudges, we need to consider the possible nudges that will actually strike our nerves and perhaps make us a bit upset as well. The fact of the matter is that Jonah's like me, and I'm guessing he's like some of you as well. He's bothered by the fact that God loves people who you and I find unlovable. For Jonah, these people were the Ninevites. Those were the people that were unlovable to him. And the place that he had no interest in going was Nineveh. The question I want to ask us this morning is, what's your Nineveh? What's the place you're unwilling to go to? Who are your Ninevites? What people group are you unwilling to interact with? My wife and I have two next-door neighbors. There's a home to the north of us and a home to the south of us. One family who lives next door to us, they have two young daughters and they have a dog. And these daughters are great. They're cute, they're interactive, they're fun. They talk to us over the fence. Sometimes we invite them over into the backyard and they play with us and they play with our son. The dad's a good guy. I talk football with them. It's easy to relate with them. I enjoy it. The mom, sweet, kind woman, great. Their dog is even nice. The dog doesn't come over and try to bite your leg. It doesn't poop in your yard. It doesn't bark real loud. It's great. Great family to interact with. My wife and I actually make plans to spend time with this family. But we have other neighbors too. We have neighbors on the other side of us. They also are a family of four. They also have a dog. When we first moved in, their two teenage sons, we we almost never saw them. But once in a while, we would hear them. The early hours of the morning, having fun in their backyard, drinking lots of alcohol on the hot summer nights when everyone's windows are open, just a few feet away from us. We've made efforts to talk with them, but they seem incredibly disinterested in our lives. Their dog is about the same size as I am, but he barks way louder than I do. And from time to time, 
my wife or I will find some, some dog poop outside of our back gate. And we don't know for sure what dog did it. And we don't know for sure what negligent dog owner did not pick it up. But to be honest, I'm pretty sure that more than once I've blamed the dog and blamed the neighbors. I live in Surrey. And while some of you with Langley addresses might think that Surrey isn't too far off from Nineveh, it's really not that bad. But what has been bad has been my attitude towards these neighbors. I was not prepared to nudge them towards God because I wasn't listening to God to see if he might be giving me a nudge. So a couple of months ago, I was pruning some plants in my backyard. And I was listening to my neighbor's dog as he barked. There was probably a higher-than-usual case of oxygen in the air or something like that that would have gotten him all riled up. And as I thought about how this dog should really stop barking, I started to think about how this dog was way too big to be in a yard that small. And then I started to think about the fact that this dog should be getting walked on a regular occasion. And then I thought about the fact that I, can't have, I have no memory of when my neighbors have ever walked this dog. And on and on it went. And then all of a sudden, I had this random thought pop into my head. Keith, you should walk their dog. And I thought this was a terrible idea. Now, I didn't get in a boat and head to Tarshish, but I didn't take immediate action either. This is just a mild example of how you and I can treat others like Jonah treated the Ninevites. It's easy to do. They don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve my grace. What's your Nineveh? What's the place you're unwilling to go to? What's the place that you've shut off in your mind? Because of hurts? Because of prejudice? Because of your own heart? Who are your Ninevites? What's the people group that you're unwilling to interact with? Maybe their family, maybe their neighbors, maybe their coworkers. Who are the people that you think, no, 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 not going there, not doing that? Each person is in desperate need of the grace of God. While the religious leaders in the day of Jesus avoided sinners, Jesus sought them out. He talked with an adulterous woman. He ate food with tax collectors. He responded to his father's nudges and nudged other people towards his father. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh. And it shouldn't surprise us that God will ask us to go as well. And while the first chapter of Jonah's story is all about Jonah the runaway, we should not miss the fact that this story is filled with God's grace and mercy as well. It's one of the biggest themes in these four chapters here in the book of Jonah. Not only his mercy towards Nineveh, but his mercy towards Jonah, this runaway. The unbelievable part of Jonah being swallowed by the fish is not really the physical impossibility of how this would work itself out, but the fact that God would be merciful enough to send a great fish to save such a rebellious and unrelenting man. He does this for you. He does this for me. He does this for the Ninevites as well. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we hear a story like this, it brings conviction. 
it brings challenge in our life because we realize that there's many times that we have ignored your voice. There's many times that we have disobeyed you. There's many times that we have willingly run so that we can avoid your call in our lives. Lord, I ask that in the midst of you speaking to us about uh, perhaps that area in our life that we're unwilling to go to, the friend we don't want to talk to anymore, the place that we're afraid to go to, I ask that you would also remind us of your incredible mercy and grace. The grace that you continue to show to Jonah. May you continue to show that to us as well. Help us remember, Lord, that we are just as much need of your grace as those around us. We're in desperate need of it. And so, Lord, as we reflect upon this story, as we reflect upon your word to us today, may you also bring us encouragement as we celebrate the fact that we are recipients of your grace. Nudge us towards that story, Lord, and nudge us towards others that we can pass this message on to. Amen.